cliffcentral.com. Good morning, everybody. Here's Leanne Mole, here's Ryan in the studio, and me and you. How fantastic. What a way to start the week, right? Yes. Yes. Well, Ryan's sure of it. Leanne's not so sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I was was, uh, meant to be in studio this morning, but ended up working until the wee hours. um, I was going to say, Leanne was meant to be here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, very, very grateful for an extra 30 minutes of Z's. But here I am. Well, well as long as you as long as you know what you're doing. I mean, as long as you can uh, commandeer yourself. I don't yourself. know what I'm doing. No, you don't know what you're doing. I was going to say, <laughs> like, what a ridiculous thing. Uh, but, but you know where you are. At least you know you're at home at the moment, right? You know that. Yeah, I, I'm here and it's, it's not cocktail hour yet. That's all I know. <laughs> no, definitely not. So, um, how was the weekend? What did you get up to? Anything fun? Weekend was good. Um, I'm, I just have to say that I'm very sorry about the week that you guys have had in the past. Um, I know that it's been a difficult time, and I just wanted to pass on my condolences. Um, yeah, for and yeah, it's it's really tough. And I know you were speaking about him on on our. Sh- time together um a week ago um and uh yeah it's just been on my mind the whole weekend so well uh had a little uh funeral for him yesterday and um it's it's look it's it's all very difficult but there's there's always a bit of closure when there's a funeral you know and and um i went to see the family i'm not very good at funerals and i i don't think i would have been any use to anyone there I decided I'd uh, I'd do my my farewells and uh, say my my say before then, and also just be with the family a little bit, which we did. Mm. Yeah, which was cool. But yeah, um, the weekend was quiet. Uh, I didn't I didn't really get up to very much. It was um, it was chilled. I, I had I did eventually get to see Oppenheimer, which oh, nice. I've been. But mm. I saw. I saw two movies over the weekend because I was just chilling at home. Um, first one was Oppenheimer, and the other one I watched because people keep telling me to watch it was Saltburn, which everybody oh, said you yes. have to watch Saltburn, right? Oh, dying to watch it. You did haven't you, seen it yet? You, no, I haven't seen it yet. But I've seen all the reactions, and I'm wondering if yours was visceral too. No, I'm not sure entirely why people. I thought it was going to be really like gross and gory and disgusting, and. There was a lot in it that was like a little bit crazy, but I I didn't find it horrific. I I don't know what people were so um they were, they were so shocked by. I mean, it, it it's good, right? It's um it's weird. It's about this dude who's clearly totally insane, and he manages to put on a show that he isn't insane, and then eventually just like ruins this entire family and. I mean, it's it's bizarre, and it'll show you the kind of psychopathy that's involved. And and I think what happens with a lot of people they 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 get they get roped into a a world of like bullshit, and they're not they don't have the they don't have the means to deal with it. And and you know, in this case, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, but it's just it's very depressing because I suppose it's about 
just deceit and lying and how dangerous that can be, which is always horrible to see on screen. Yeah. Um, mm. <clears throat> you know, we see it enough in real life. And, and then there's also this added component of, of like unhealthy relationships that people have. So I, I can't really figure out what to make of it, but it certainly wasn't, you know, the most incredible movie I've ever seen. It didn't blow my, my mind. I, I, I don't think it's so fantastic. I really don't. And if there's I mean, anybody, what, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear from you if you if you were in the comments this morning and you don't agree. But it was okay. I mean, the one the one reaction video I saw was, I mean, I was I was about to put it down to age, experience, and being jaded. But oh. uh, in, in the one reaction video I saw, the the guy was filming his dad, and his dad his dad at the crucial point was mock charging and having a bit of a heave. <laughs> and I thought, well, it must be what could be that gross. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think haven't haven't we almost seen it all? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anything that you put on screen now, apart from things that are so revolting that they would be just morally repugnant, and the entire audience would get up and leave from the theater. And there are still some things like that, you know, like child abuse, for example, that I don't think anyone wants to see. But everything, everything else, it, you know. But it, but everything else these days in, in movies and, and Hollywood generally, it's just it, they've done it all. So I don't know what's left for them to still do to shock us. They, you know? they just need to redo everything, Gareth. That's, the, that's, well, what that's all they do. They, they get old movies and they redo them. But I did, I did like Oppenheimer. I thought it was way too focused on his, like, whether he was or wasn't a communist, whether they you know how they were the persecuting him basically after the war um and his own personal guilt which which he never really made a big fuss of either and i've read biographies of oppenheimer and i think this was obviously there, there was a lot in here that that was a big big bugbear for the people who produced this movie they were like this is the most important thing about oppenheimer sure. i don't think it was <clears throat> i would have liked to have seen more of more of the of the actual science behind i mean <laughs> i know that that would have bored a lot of people in the audience to death <laughs> and we've got to talk about the tucker carlson and vladimir putin interview in a moment because yeah, wow. obviously I'm, I'm one of like 10 people in the whole world who loved his 35 minute long history lesson on russia and the ukraine which you know there, there were also holes in that that it wasn't perfect and we've got to talk about what exactly putin was trying to do there but I like a little bit of detail in the movie, and I'm not I'm not there for the um the the, the salacious human angle of it. M makes me a little bit different, I suppose, to most people, and maybe it would make for a very bad movie. But I thought Oppenheimer was yeah. Someone says in the comment here unnecessarily long and slow. Yeah. That's uh, I agree with you, dude. I agree with you, and the same thing goes for the the Tucker Carlson Vladimir Putin interview. It's just unnecessarily long and slow. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that stuff going on at the moment. Who knows? Hmm. Was it like past the three hour mark? It was definitely past three hours. No, I actually had to break it up because I started watching it on Saturday night and then I just was, I was knackered. I was like, no oh, way I'm going to move through the whole Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was like, dude, not going to happen. Yeah. So I paused, <laughs> I paused. And I went to doo-doos and then I woke up on Sunday and I found some time yesterday to just finish it. Oh, that's like a... Yeah. And, and you, Ryan, anything fun? 
Um, so I attended um, Aaron's memorial on Friday, which was actually just kind of nice. I also got um, to spend some time with the family. Um, I got to uh, go into you know some Peewee's hood and go and check out yes. what's, what's going on there. And it was yes. actually, it was actually really nice. They they used this like as a moment of um, uh, you know telling telling good funny stories. Like it was his best friends, mm -hmm. his, his aunts and uncles. <laughs> Yeah, and so I've never been to to one like this where like um, the funeral's been split up into a memorial and a funeral because I've only you know in our family we only go to one we do like one funeral mm -hmm. so this is a new experience mm -hmm. for me and shame the family was super nice I got to speak to his dad for for quite a while um, so that no. was that, that was my Friday night and uh, you know we got to see all the all the staff there as well and then Saturday. I'm trying to think. I didn't. I didn't actually do much really on on the weekend as well. Just probably just caught up on sports and stuff. That's all. But yeah, no, it was really good. For I mean, um, for, for the little electricity I had on the weekend, it was. Uh, you know. Yeah, just when we thought we were over, you know, I mean, the president had barely finished his State of the Nation. Uh, I don't oh, even want to. I don't even want to. We won't. We won't go there. Um, Ted says, Ted says, Masters of the Air has been brilliant in Apple TV. That's the movie about all those pilots, right? The, okay. The, the, the pilots, I think, during and between the wars. It's a very, very cool series. Of, I've heard good things, so I believe you, Ted. Um, okay, so there was something else that happened over the weekend because my entire feed was filled with hideous pictures of this, and I, I just don't know what to make of it. Look at this. <laughs> I had to see Julius Malema looking like a snot machine. I don't know. If, snot, I don't know snot getter. What's going on here? Is this for real? Because I saw it and I thought, well, either this is a an evil right wing plot to make him look dumber than he already <laughs> looks. And, and I mean, he's just really Julius's Julius's cred and and public appeal has just dropped by huge degrees in the last couple of years because he's all he does now is he just vents about like white people or he's rude about Indian people or he's he's just you know he's like a classic racist 101 it's just so dreary and predictable and I also think that his obsession with the land and the nationalizing of banks I mean besides all of that what does he actually do what's he there for except for his own power and and people can see through him. And then when we do see him on camera, it's he's got snot coming out of his nose. <laughs> Anybody need to see this? Oh, oh, you know, well, I actually saved you by sending you the the still, the, the, the static image, because yeah, oh. he, I think there were about f a good four minutes where there, there were goodies hanging out of his nose. Um, four minutes. I mean, even children know the wife. <laughs> knows i mean for god's sake what was he raised by wolves so he was he was in the rain and blamed it on the uh blame it on the rain, on the rain. Yeah. yeah yeah famously sung by by lip-syncing fake uh <laughs> Vanilli, yes <laughs> but um he was at his uh his big do i think it was in durban yeah okay so um, and moses mabida and, uh, yeah lots lots of rain and um other things raining but everyone well i mean a lot of people took to social media to say uh it was because he's, he's using drugs 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we can imagine what type um, they're referring to. Um, and he's actually he actually clapped back um, on Twitter saying that he was heavily attacked. He said, uh, thank you so much for your concern, fellow brothers and sisters. I don't have flu because that was one of the concerns. The heavy wind and rain activated my sinuses. And oh, I, th I thought the rain was running through my face. Kante, I was heavily attacked with three smiley, laughy emojis. He says, well, uh, taking it in good humor. It's not his usual, like, angry response to everything. So that's not so bad. Yeah. He says, um, otherwise, that's the only thing haters can point to. All was super dope, he says. Oh, thank you dope. KZN and people of South Africa <laughs> history was made super dope where did that come from I feel like, no, I feel like if you've been He's to one EFF rally you've been to them all you know what I mean like what new things are they well, saying there's snot that would have made this one <laughs> but, but yeah the previous ones uh, so I don't know He did he fill up the stadium because that's a big thing these days you know I mean we we, we know that the Patriotic Alliance had an embarrassing one where they had like 20 people pitch up. We know that the last one that Julius did, they tried to make it look like there were lots of people and they put on a big show and he was like Beyonce on a stage lift and all that kind of thing. Was this like that or was it slightly smaller? I don't know what to believe anymore unless I'm there myself. I'm the, the same. Journalists yeah, I'm the same. Are saying, right. Journalists right. and reports are saying to a packed Moses Mobita Stadium. So who knows? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. They they did mention that it wasn't packed in the beginning, and then all the EFF members, like if you follow, you know, like the all the independent social media, they're all like, "We just need to correct the journalists of the country because we did fill up Moses Mabida." But watch everybody follow suit now, because now everyone's coming to Moses Mabida, and it's like, oh man, you know. Also, these politicians, we know what they do to fill up a stadium, right? We know that what they do is they give people free lunch, they give them a t-shirt or a hat, they, they give them free transport there. So what does it prove? If the political party is dragging everybody there, what is it proving? It's proving zero. It proves that they've spent it proves they've spent money. That's all. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It looked like I a boring know. affair to me. I, I would certainly lose my mind at a rally like that. Cheesy says it was full. I work across the road. I also like um, boiled prawn shacks comment. Lol, super dope. Dude was rambling after a gram. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he's kind of using a lot of colloquial language in the, that, that tweet you read out. Hmm. Almost sounds, and I kind of agree here with Kala. It's almost like his team is posting on his yes. behalf, maybe a bit young. Yeah. You know, it's like they're using language he would never use. I've never heard him talk like that before, like try to Americanize things. He's never done that. No, never. He's not Thibaut Touch, you know. Yeah. I see in the I comments, don't, don't, somebody's saying their, their manifesto is actually 260 pages. Is that true? Hmm, if so, they're going to be burying Pumi in paperwork. Yes, he. She's going to be busy for weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, for example, um, last Thursday and the Thursday before we had po political party leaders. So we'll be getting the rest of those on, on the burning platform. It's going to be exciting because you've got to be able to hear what these people have to say for themselves. And I don't want to paraphrase them and have to read like, you know, Pumi's the one who does the research. Thank oh, God. Because yes. 
reading a manifesto is the most dreary, boring thing you could ever do. It's so boring. Yeah. It also rhymes with empty promises. <laughs> By the way, right, well, did you see that tweet from Fikile Mbalula on the weekend? What did he say? Uh, I've got it over here. He he said that uh, the, the whole stage six thing is a it's it's sabotage for the ANC. Oh please! Oh, please. <laughs> so here it is. He says stage six load shedding, clear sabotage, strong extra security measures are needed. Why are you saying this like you're an observer, like you're a member of the public? It's you guys. It's your <laughs> party. It's the government that you are the majority of. That, well, you, you, you are the government because the majority party is the, the ANC. It's not like they've got a whole bunch of other party ministers in charge of electricity. You've got uh, Sputla Ramachopa there who's ANC through and through. Yeah. So why don't you talk to him, Begile? Why are you tweeting us about yeah. all this? Why don't you get on top we of We have this? nothing to do with this. <laughs> Get on top of this. Don't tell the people of South Africa. We give a shit about you. And we're tired of hearing we're tired of hearing from you and the rest of the ANC about this stuff. I know uh Sivan Gessi posted his load shedding schedule for the weekend. You know, Siv is often on the show with us and he has he just doesn't hold any uh quarter for any political party, frankly. I think he's big big mates with uh, Musi Maimane. He mentioned that to us last time he was on. But I don't think he's big fans of the ANC, and he he was saying like we've got to vote these guys out. This is enough already, and I couldn't agree more. Frankly, mm. how much? What should a party do to get your vote? Because the elections are what now? If they if they announce them, if the president just pulls his finger out, I don't know what he's doing. If he announces the elections, and let's say they're in May, right, which is when they should happen, maybe May, maybe June, yeah. is what people are saying. Maybe early June, but either way, we've got what two, three months to go. And then we've got to get cracking on this election thing. So people have got to make their minds up. But just like you need to know what parties are doing that will impress you, that'll get your vote, you also need to know what you should not vote for. And one of the things that should make you want to vote for anything but the ANC is the fact that they can't manage the country properly and that you've been sitting without electricity again. Yeah, That's mm. all. Just, just look at the infra infrastructure. It's basic, yeah. 101. It's not rocket science. Just do what you need to do. <laughs> I mean, even in, even in my area on the weekend, they, they didn't have water for two days. And I'm just like, yo, no electricity and no water. It's just like yeah, a yeah. whammy. There are big power um, um, outages today in Joburg, parts of Joburg. Um, so Randburg side and also Cape Town. Uh, mm. Big outages. Yeah. Long, like eight hours. Um, I see some comments here. Carl says, I hate Cyril as much as the next guy, but he cannot announce the election date because he's waiting for a high court order and independence. Okay, well, I didn't know about that, Carl, so you're teaching us things. Thank you. Um, if that's the case, well, then uh, hopefully he gets his shit sorted out. All right. Um, I see uh, Figile and Ramachopa should share memos. Figile says sabotage. Rama says maintenance. Yeah, you see, they can't even get their story straight. I mean, you would think, but, but if, if this is the whole point, right? Is Fikile is not, this is not a guy who has a strategy in mind. He he, he just tweets stream of consciousness. Mm. So he, he wakes up in the morning. He's like, I need to talk to my people, my audience. He thinks he's a superstar of some kind. It's like, I need to talk to my audience. Let me just tweet something. He doesn't check with the minister of 
energy and electricity. He doesn't check with the president. He doesn't check with the rest of the ANC. He's just talking straight out of his ass. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't a strategic, um, you know, stylized tweet. That just he was shooting from the hip. Yeah. And as Ryan says, he has power. Yeah. But um, it's you know it's really bad when you can't even charge your phone, right? I mean, there are people. People who couldn't even do that yesterday and, and the day before. They had a whole announcement with uh, Mr. Ramachopa yesterday or on Saturday. Mm. And it was during the time when I had load shedding. Like, how can I watch it if you guys are like, <laughs> cutting our power off? <laughs> what are we it was an American, an American tourist. Um, I actually, th I think she, she was more than a tourist. She was here for business. And yeah. she did a video from her hotel. And you could see she was in her, her hotel room. And she said, um, just so that you guys know, there's something that goes on here in South Africa. It's um, like power power <laughs> outages. And she held up a little <clears throat> piece of <clears throat> cardboard that she had in her room, which explained load shedding. And she said, you know, that the power goes out willy-nilly um, when you don't expect it. And um, it's, it goes out for a few seconds before it comes back on again. <laughs> She says, and it just interrupts everything that you're doing. People in the comments are like, dude, that's yeah. you've got a generator at your hotel. You Other people laugh are out for hours. You want to laugh at her, but this is not how countries in the rest of the world do stuff. It's just us, dumb us, who have to put up with this crap, you know? So I, I, it's not her. She's, she may be uninformed about load shedding, but why should she know about load shedding? But it's still, the fact that she was shocked by 30 seconds of load shedding. And in the meanwhile, what's really going on? Hey, do you know what I did yesterday? It's such a fun thing, and it sent me down a massive rabbit hole. I went on Property 24. Ooh. You ever done that? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You go on there. I'll tell you what. You get to see what people are selling, what kind of houses there are. I mean, if you if you just... So what I did is I first of all went and searched all of Johannesburg, Pretoria, Cape Town, even Durban on, on there. And then I, I ranked by price so I could see the most expensive houses in each city. Ooh. 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 That was a big rabbit hole. <laughs> Cape, Town, Cape Town is another story. Yeah. There, um, are some, there are some properties that are like, POA, you have to ask for the price because it's so fucking high. I'm sure these prices are so high. And I'll tell you what, some of these houses have like 20 bedrooms. That's insane. 20 bedrooms. I mean, you know, there, there are there are palaces built by kings in the 1600s that don't have 20 bedrooms in them. It's, it's insane. You know, I, I was looking at the opposite end of the scale in, in Cape Town. In Cape Town, for a student, right, mm -hmm. somewhere like Steli's, um, looking for a place to rent, there's no place to rent. Apparently, everything is taken up. Really? So, the next step is to look at buying, um, if you're lucky enough to be able to do so. And it turns out hardly anyone is, because for, uh, thank you for my, my super <laughs> forging paths, <laughs> um, uh, apparently... In, in not apparently, it's it's a fact because um, I saw it on on Property Twenty Four as well. For a tiny studio apartment, 
where you mm. have to climb a ladder to get into your bed, which <laughs> is above the kitchen. Right. You're talking three to four million rand to buy. No, it's insane. Jesus. Wow. I mean, WTF. Wow. I, I, don't, I don't know how they can justify that. I don't know how that's justifiable. Uh, it's crazy, right? Um, my, my whole thing is, I mean, you're talking about 20 bedrooms. Like, for me, locking up at night is already a pain in the ass. You have to close all the doors and windows. Now, imagine you have a 20-bedroom house that so you have to, like, do the rounds on, <laughs> lock the gates and everything like that. Like, it's insane. Too much maintenance. No, I think you probably have a lot of people working for you. Mm. And, you know, that, that's, that's also the sort of house that they don't have load shedding because they've either got massive generators and solar and battery backup, and they've got their own boreholes. So they don't think about water. Solar windmills, you know, once, like <laughs> once you get past the, like ten million rand house category, then everything is kind of totally off the grid. You don't need anything. I don't know. Don't I, I feel anyone. like ten million in Cape Town is just like it's like the splash. It's not really. It's not the. It's not anything luxurious. No, no, it's no. like just by the sea. No, no, no. I'm not saying that that's the top of the. I'm just saying once you get past ten, I think in order to sell a house that's over oh, ten million rand, right. Need to have you need to have those things because no one will buy it if it isn't completely off the grid at 10 million. You know, 10 million rand is huge. And also, by the way, if you look at these houses, like I know that people take the these estate agents now, they take hundreds of pictures, and you know, you get to see every room from every angle. Some of them have these um, almost 3D views in them, which is, I mean, it's fascinating that you can you basically walk into people's houses. Thanks yeah. to this property foresight. But what's phenomenal about it, and Tracy says she photographs these houses. So, I mean, she would know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it, it's just, it's wild to think that this is how people live because you see how shit their furniture is and you see how, how ugly their houses are. I mean, the number of people who have things like silver curtains or... Mm -hmm. Or, 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 or tiled floors in every room. Ugh. I mean, it's so cold and forbidding. And, you know, these, these massive windows, for example, and these hideous light fittings. I just, I wonder. I know that, you know, there's no amount of money that can buy you any class or breeding or sophistication. Like, you, mm. you know, you could, you could be super, super wealthy and still have no idea of what kind of, a thing to do with a house that's got 10 bedrooms and let alone 20. Champagne some... money and beer taste. Yeah, that's right. I see so many of these people, you can just tell that they are the first people um, in their family to have money and they just mm -hmm. don't know what to do with all the space. It's like they've got this enormous room with like 10 windows on either side of the room. It's like the Palace of Versailles Hall of Mirrors, but then it's got these hideous floor tiles an ugly light fitting that looks like a fucking bird's nest and then they've got, they've got three ugly leather brown leather sofas and a brown. table and, brown and a brown leather sofa and a chrome <laughs> and glass table in the middle with nothing on it and you can stand at one end of the room you can hear the echo to the other side of the room because there's just nothing in the room there's no, there's nothing to absorb the sound. There's nothing to warm it up. There's nothing to make it look like ever, anyone's ever lived there. It's kind of like a, 
I mean, maybe, maybe the explanation is, and I haven't been in enough of these show houses to know, maybe the explanation is that the people aren't actually living there. They bought the property as an investment property, maybe, and they've just bought some stuff just to fill the, the space. They haven't really thought about it. You know, they don't live there. Yeah. But I do get the impression that this is how some people live. Oh, 100%. It's it's also the same mentality where you've got a car that's more expensive than your house. And I saw a lot of that in Australia um, while driving to uh, the Wolof the Wolof Park, the Wolof which is Wolof wildlife park. Um, and driving through this area where people were basically living in caravans, but they had BMWs. Hmm. It's just a, a case of priorities. And again, you just can't buy taste. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? So if you want to have a fun day today, if you've got time at the office and you're bored, because a lot of people sit around at the office and hop on social media, instead of doing that, hop on Property24 and just see what kinds of things people are buying. Uh, Lindy says that the rental market in Cape Town saturated because the Airbnb owners, it's made houses very expensive to buy or rent. I believe that. I believe mm. that's a big part of it, yeah. Badly um, run BNBs. Because it's Joy in Africa says the kitchens are from 1993. Yeah. Yeah, that's also. <laughs> you see, uh, you know, like bathrooms and kitchens. Mm. And I, I'm not talking about extremely expensive, you know, highly valuable real estate. I'm just talking about people who live in normal houses, like normal suburban houses. Like any of us know, like with our, our own houses, our friends' houses, whatever. Some people have the weirdest looking bathrooms and kitchens. Just so bizarre. The bathrooms you know what especially. I mean? Some of these places, I mean, it, they look like um, like they, they were designed by the people who put together the Star Trek show, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Patrick says his parents sold a house in Mowbray in Cape Town for... 600,000 Rand back in 2003. It's now worth 2.3 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it depends on where you are, too, because like I don't think Durban's prices are as good as, as what they were 10 years ago, but Cape Town's have increased exponentially. Yeah. I think Joburg, Joburg's probably cheaper now. You could buy, you know, what would have mm. cost you, what would have cost you like two or three million Rand back in, I don't know. Uh, 10 years ago in, 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 in Joburg will now cost you less. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, no, it's still, I mean, I'm, well, we I'm need still to do in the process of selling my, my house in Joburg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something that was meant to take two months, but has taken two years. Sure. Thanks to the um, uh, eviction attorney who occupies the property. But um, that, that's finally coming to, to a close. But uh, that property, I'm, I'm, I made a profit off of within two years. So I think the property prices are still going up mm. in Joburg, but just not as exponentially as Cape Town. We need to actually get a property expert on. I'll see who I can find mm. who's, who's good at this stuff. Maybe get them on. What kills me is like I listen to my parents talk about how they like bought a house at my age, and I'm looking at yeah. property prices. And oh I'm yeah, like, holy shit! Uh, so so <laughs> yeah. this is it's impossible. In some ways, 
exactly. And I hear lots of people your age, Ryan, saying, oh, no, it's impossible to get on the property ladder. And it is. It's damned expensive and it's very, very difficult. And, and these property prices are out of control. But I almost think if I could go back, I would never have invested in property the way that I did. Honestly, I think you should own the house you live in as soon as you can. But otherwise, this idea of having holiday houses and things, very old school, hey? Mm. Very old. I don't think that's a good way to go. I think it's a, it's a very stupid way to, to go. Unless you've got unbelievable amounts of money and you need to spend and you need to have people looking after it. and You don't want to have to worry about yeah. that, right? It feels it feels wrong though. I mean, I come from a family that's always invested in property. My yeah. parents are property investors, mm-hmm. and and own property in in various parts of the country. But and here I sit in a in a place that I'm renting for the first time. I've always been a homeowner, um, and for the first time, I'm you know as I mentioned in the process of selling, and mm-hmm. re- and just paying rent. And it's actually so freeing. It really is. When ah, well, also, the cost of maintenance and living is just through the roof. And, and if something breaks or, 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 or you know, you've got a problem with some yeah. uh, pipe or the air conditioning or a floor, right. or a roof, you, just, you just call up the owner, right? You say, well, here we are. Oh, right, yeah, here's my, my toilet roll <laughs> holder, which broke. It's sitting oh, here it's because nice. it needs to be replaced. And that's all I do imagine, is snap my fingers. Imagine, imagine how irritating it is for the guy who owns the property. He has to come and replace a toilet roll holder. You know how irritating that must be? <laughs> like, even, so, if you're, even if you're paying your rent on time and you're a great uh, tenant and blah, 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 this guy must – now he's got to wake up on a Monday morning and he knows, oh, that fucking Leanne and that <laughs> toilet roll holder. <laughs> Oh. Well, you know what I you know what I do? I actually replace things myself and then I, I let them know afterwards. Or sometimes I don't even. I'm yeah, I'm kind of like that dream tenant. Oh, That's little Alice. Alice. It wasn't Jesus. it her birthday the other day? It was. She's very loud this morning. Sure. <laughs> she normally makes it herself. No, that's okay. Sweet. No, but I mean also if if you if you rent places like my dad used to rent places out. Um, you know, they had like a flat or whatever. Before the whole Airbnb thing was a thing. Um when it was the old school renting thing, my dad used to do that. And now all the laws are in the in like the rentees' favors. Um in, you know. And so well there were so many like um things when you're a landlord that you you're so restricted now. Because mm. there's not much in your favor, so it's if if you're not doing the Airbnb thing, I don't I don't think it's worth it to be honest. So somebody said in the comments here that it's the same with cars. The car market, Sandira says, is the same. Basic cars have starting cost of three hundred thousand rand. Yeah, I mean that's also crazy, right? Like yeah. you look at you look at the price of cars now, and you think about how, and I I mean you know the secondhand car market's a different thing, which is why. We often speak to George about it on the show because Auto Trader is, the, I think, where people go and then they look at that and they put in there what sort of price range they're looking at rather than what kind of car they want. Mm-hmm. And they find what they, you know, what kind of meets where the two meet, where their favorite kind of car or some car that they really want meets the price that they can actually pay. Um, and the same goes for housing, the same goes for everything. It's not easy out there. And I, I often think that. You know, the, the, 
there's this thing that millennials and Gen Z and even Gen X have a tougher situation to deal with than their parents. And that's certainly the case in America. And, the, you know, the Americans complain about that all the time, that they, they can't afford property, they can't afford to do what their parents did, that the mm. boomers were the last generation that really had, you know, had it easy in inverted commas. But I don't know, they had their challenges too. I think you've just got to deal with whatever you've got. And don't feel bad. You're not like keeping up with the Joneses, which was a very big thing. In when I grew up, there were a lot of there were a lot of people my parents' age who were very um interested in what the others were doing. Mm. You know, it was like they they kind of if if your neighbors had a tennis court, you had a tennis court kind of thing. I, my folks never got into that shit. They were they were never really impressed with that. So I, as a result, I just didn't care what other people, you know, if you, you can have a small, uh, like one bedroom flat, but if you, if you make it lovely, if you make it pretty, if you make it cool, you know, that, that's a nice way to go. And by the way, we've got an important announcement this morning, Ryan, we've got to get to sport, which we'll do in a second. Yes. Um, but Ryan's got a big announcement because he's not going to waste his money on investing in property. He's actually going to Ireland. At the end of this month, yes, Ooh. yeah, he's gonna take, he's gonna take a, a, a gap year. He's gonna go and visit his friends who live in Ireland. He's spoken about them on the show before. Mm. And what they're gonna give you? They're gonna give you a room there, and you're gonna go and spend some time exploring Ireland. Yeah, so they they've got a they have a spare house. They live in a three um, three bedroom place there in Ireland, and they kind of said, you know, if there was ever a time for you to come over. Uh, it's now because now, so two of my friends have kind of moved in together and they're kind of just building their careers kind of thing. They, they just kind of right. restarted and they were like, well, you know, we're going to be doing this for the next year. And so right. come over for a few months, come check it out. You know, you've only really worked in South Africa. Come, come see, cause I am, you know, I'm part Irish. So they were like, come and check it out. And yeah, from there I can also Irish, go into the UK. Uh, and you have an Irish, you have an Irish passport, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you just fly in. Oh, yeah. So I very cool. But Ryan told me last Monday, he's like, oh, listen, um, <laughs> what are you worried about? I'm, I think this is amazing. Uh, you, no, this, this is the perfect time to do this. You don't have kids. You don't have a girlfriend at the moment. You don't, uh, this, this job, you can come back when you want to. I mean, what a pleasure. Go and do it. Explore. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, you know, that's amazing. I, I just love, I just love the job. Like that's that that's the only thing that's been like stopping me from doing it from the beginning of the year was like you know to uh, to give up the job was just such a a big thing. But I feel like you oh. know it's it's time to just go and just go and check it out, you know, and see what happens. What an opportunity, man! And you know when you when you it happens before you realize it, but soon uh, you'll be at the age where your family really relies on you and you you can't just travel anywhere anymore so yeah jeez yeah. i think it's fantastic no and it's and it's nice they're kind of letting me stay there rent free for for a few months till i can get on my feet and i can go and travel to the uk as well and uh, go and see some friends that i have there so yeah it's gonna be uh it's gonna be what interesting part of ireland so they they by limerick side but i've also got family that stay in dublin so I'm going to kind of go visit my family, but then just go and stay with them in, in um, anything. Limerick. The only thing I have to warn you about is that the Irish are very heavy drinkers. <laughs> That's what they said. They literally said, you're going to yeah, come I, back with a problem. <laughs> yeah, you will. 
that's all I can tell you. But listen, we, we've got to get some sport in here. So let's see yeah. what's uh, what's in the results. Ryan's got a couple of uh, sports results over the weekend to share with us. Go ahead. Okay, so Ben sent me this. Let's kick, uh, kick off with the cricket. The SA20 final, the Sun Rises Eastern Cape thrash Durban Super Giants. Uh, getting into rugby, the Six Nations. France beat uh, Scotland 2016. Um, England beat Wales 16-14. And Ireland thrash Italy 36 nothing. So that's, you know, that's good. Ireland. Ireland. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, getting into football. Uh, into AFCON. South Africa finished third, beating DR Congo on penalties. And Ivory Coast beat Nigeria 2-1. Uh, so Ivory Coast are the African champions, which is great. And uh, getting into Premier League, uh, Man City beat Everton 2-0. Spurs beat Brighton 2-1. Liverpool beat Burnley 3-1. And Newcastle beat Nottingham Forest 3-2. Arsenal thrashed West Ham 6-0. Six, uh, six and Manchester United beat Aston Villa 2-1. So that's, mm. uh, that's what we have. And if, right. if you watch the Super Bowl this morning... Which I did uh, just before we oh, came yeah. in. The Kansas City Chiefs are the champions once again. That was a long so, ass game. Oh my gosh! It's from one thirty this morning. In, you were in America one year for the Super Bowl, right? Yes, we went to LA. No, that's right. That must have been pretty wild because that is the biggest sporting event in America. It, and then they bring out the this event. They have the halftime show, which is now almost bigger than anything else. And I know that this. Super Bowl was all about Taylor Swift, and we're not going to talk about her again. <laughs> no, actually, we well, it. she did make it through because a lot of people were saying she was in Tokyo for a show yesterday, and there was, yeah. there's like a long flight between, but the time difference is on their side. So she did make it in time, uh, which was Didn't cool. I just say we weren't going to talk about her? <laughs> no, but I was going to get into Usher. Usher was the halftime performer this year. Right. And so I only caught a couple of minutes of it because I just literally woke up at like 3 a.m., Got a glimpse of Usher performing, and I was like, oh, you know, it wasn't as great as the one. In LA, we had Dr. Dre, we had Eminem, we had 50, we had Snoop. Um, it was like the halftime show. It was like the most incredible halftime show we, we had. So it, you, you couldn't top that one even if you tried, but it was awesome. That's so, yeah. Um, Audrey says it's very easy to do a round island road trip, which maybe you should think of doing, Ryan. That yeah. sounds like it could be fun. I'm busy. I'm busy in the. I'm like in the planning stages. So now I've like I've got all the flights down. Um, you know, Good. and then now from here it's just kind of like I want to go also to the UK and go watch some football games. So now I'm like trying to call up all my friends. Like, hmm, let's see where I can go because yeah, it's it's very expensive I, to go and stay at these I places. Think <laughs> you know, one of the regrets. It's not really a regret because I don't. I don't feel sad about stuff that's gone. Past. I don't hold on to stuff, but I do kind of wish that I'd taken a little bit of time to just live in another country. I've never done that. Mm. So I feel like I, you know, I'm, I, there's a bit of experience that could have entered the fray that didn't because I didn't stay any, anywhere else, um, mm. after school or after university or whatever. But then my, my parents never said to me, here, have some money, go and do this. And they also <laughs> didn't say to me, no, I mean never. And they also said to me, "Don't, um, don't fuck around. Like after school, go straight to university." Yeah, yeah. yeah that was the way of that was the way then. Yeah. No, but it's also like How? it's it's also a bit of a difficult. Thing. I mean, I did that. I went straight to university straight after, but I, I, 
the reason I'm doing it is just to see in terms of career, like where I can see if I can get something there. Because, you know, I, I saw a heartbreaking clip on TikTok, actually, of um, this lady who's probably my age, maybe a bit younger, who just completed her LLB, but has to work at a call center just because there's no employment in that sector at mm. all in this country. Mm. And it's like, I just feel sorry for people who are in their 20s and they've they've worked hard. They've they've done the university stuff and there's just no yeah. place for them, you know? How many people do you know who've left South Africa to go and work on the, you know, yachts or to go and work on oil rigs or to go and do really difficult jobs all over the world because yeah. they can't find employment here? So I get mm -hmm. it. Mm. And I mean, those are the lucky ones, right? Because they actually can afford to get overseas and do something. It's... You still have to buy the plane ticket, is what I'm saying. Yes. Um, for some yes. people, they're stuck here. They can't afford to get over there, and they and they want to work, but they just can't find anything. Or so that or have passport issues as well. I mean, South Africa's passport yeah. thing—you need yeah. a visa to basically go everywhere. Um, right. Some place you can go, but okay, it's time for Doctor Hanan. So this is where we get to talk to our our living psychologist once a week. He's our he's our shrink. He puts us on the on the couch and helps us to figure out our problems once a week and uh, we we have a serious issue because we actually experienced this just last week we lost a beloved colleague uh homo limo mm. in a car accident and i i thought it would be useful to just ask dr hanan how how you deal with grief and trauma at work because mm. it's some some people really struggle with this stuff stuff and i understand it it, it must be it must be extremely hard for people who've lost someone who's close to them, who maybe their colleagues don't even know. But when you lose someone who you actually work with, then I think everybody in the office feels the same about it. And, you know, people deal with that in different ways. So we're a close team. We're, we're small and, and uh, you know, we keep it all uh, together and we all kind of go through whatever we go through together. We have the support of each other. But in a much bigger, more corporate environment, I know there are policies, but how do people deal with this stuff? So let's go get to Dr. Hanan and ask him. Hey, Doc. Yeah. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. Good, good, good. Maybe you can help us to make our way through this scenario, Doc, because it is difficult when you're in a big corporation. They have policies around how much time you're allowed to take off, um, to grieve. They uh, expect you to be back at work. Um, they, they also expect you to just get over things in a very short space of time. And you've, you've helped us understand the grief process. Uh, last week, I think we spoke a little bit about that. Mm. But let's just talk about how it works at work. So as you're aware, the time that you spend with your colleagues could be more significant than the time that you spend with your spouse or your kids. And uh, many people have deeper, more meaningful relationships with their colleagues than they do with their own family members. You know, because when you're at work, you talk about everything and anything. You talk about your desires, your aspirations, your skeletons uh, in the closet. You talk about your family issues. Your colleagues might know things that are intimate to you that your spouse doesn't even know. Um, so the relationship is way more entrenched and uh, sometimes more significant than any other relationship that you, that you have. And loss is incredibly difficult, especially when you lose somebody that represents and takes so much away from your life. So think about your life 
you know, comprising of many different elements. And the moment that a person represents so much more or so much, and that chunks gets removed from your life, that leaves a massive gaping hole in a massive vacuum. And the aim is to fill up that vacuum with things that are meaningful. Because the mistake that people make when they're dealing with grief is to try to fill up that vacuum with logic. And logic and emotions are just, they just do not mix. You cannot logic your way out of grief because Mm -hmm. loss is one of those things that just do not make sense. And unless you are incredibly religious, and I find my patients that are incredibly religious, they can kind of make sense of it because they just follow the rules of the book and they have a belief that this is where the person goes and X, Y, and Z. But for most people that are secular, the idea of loss, whilst it can make sense and they make sense of it in a logical way when it happens, it's a completely visceral experience and no longer logical. So, you know, just to Mm. give you an example, when I deal with uh, patients that knows their loved one is going to die. So, for example, maybe terminal cancer. And they know that they have six weeks, three months, six months with the person. They have a lot of time to say goodbye and reason out and tick off bucket lists. Um, And their loss is just as significant and just as difficult as the loss of somebody that has lost someone just with no preparation. And my point Mm. is that preparing for loss doesn't make the loss any easier. Mm. So going back to, you know, the loss of a colleague, there's no logicking your way out of it. You've got to walk your way out of it. And actually, you've got to walk your way through it. And remember, I gave the analogy of, you know, when you lose someone, it's like the universe giving you a 20 kilo, kilogram uh, bag of potatoes to carry for the rest of your life. And you kind of learn to manage it. You don't put it down. You don't learn to get rid of it, but you learn to carry it in a way that's way more palatable. What I recommend to you and your team is stick together because you have a common experience and walk through this together. But this is the important part. You walk through this. You don't stay stuck. You don't stay stuck in the office, in the corner, in the dark room and bubble wrap yourself and expect for the grief to get better. You walk through this. You get back to work. You know, I found when I went through my own personal loss and the people that I work through uh, or with the way that they get through their personal loss is they get back to work. They get back to their identities as being a father, being a husband, being a spouse, being a friend, being a colleague. Just keep on moving forward because, again, the way you're going to make sense of it is not by standing still but moving forward. And then when you look back at it, you realize that you're learning to manage to manage this bag of potatoes in a much better way. Well, uh, mm. Ryan, I mean, it's been, it's been hard, harder for some people than it is for others because people deal with grief in different ways. And yeah. Doc, maybe you can help us understand, you know, how to, how to extend sympathy and, and be a support to each other without making that person feel like they can't get out of the cycle that they're in because there are going to be some who are affected worse than others. And, and some people are better at dealing with grief than other people. As you said, religion might play a part. Um, sometimes uh, people think, well, if it's someone old, you can get over it quicker. If it's someone young, 
it's much harder. What do you make of that? So I always suggest that you give people what they need. You don't give people what you think they need. So offer the kind of support that they ask you for. Don't you know turn to somebody and go, you must be going through a difficult time. Uh, you must be grieving in a particular way. Don't assume. Because to your point, Gareth, some person might find it a lot more healing not to talk about it. And maybe yeah. healing through sport or maybe healing through their own family or maybe healing through you know, writing or maybe engaging in a, in a journey or a project that they have outside of work. That's how they heal. Other people mm -hmm. heal by talking about it. Uh, other people heal through their communities. Other he people heal through their church. So it doesn't mean just because you've had this common experience that you are suddenly an expert in somebody else's journey. Offer people what they need, not necessarily what they, what you think they need. So if you try to force somebody to talk about because you've read somewhere in a book or you've read on Dr. Google that you know people talking about it is what helps them heal. Yeah. And I need to say this to you. People don't heal by talking about it. People mm -hmm. heal by moving forward. It's very important because they're talking about it. If you're stuck, it doesn't help you heal. Talking right. about it, moving forward and creating and filling up the vacuum with meaningful experiences is what's going to help you heal. So give your colleagues what they need, not necessarily what you think they need. Uh so here's a question from somebody. I think this is valid. My best friend says, Janet, my best friend is terminal. feels as if there will never be enough time. I wonder if the grieving process has already begun. Definitely. Definitely. That's a really great point. Um, the definition, the real definition of grief is when your world goes from A to B. And whilst your head can understand it, your heart hasn't had time to accept it. So when somebody's going through a terminal illness, they have already changed and hence your world has changed. And now you've got to adjust to a world that's continuously changing until, you know, the person goes. So the grieving process already started because you're adjusting to a brand new world. And obviously in your head, you know what's coming, but the true healing will happen when, you know, you can move on from a stable world as opposed to from this continuous uh, moving world or changing world. All right. Uh, Leanne, you've also had to go through this a couple of times with family and friends. Anything mm. you want to throw? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, um, Dr. Hanan, how you bring up the the fact that it doesn't make it easier one way or the other, whether it's um, something that, that happens quickly or unexpectedly mm. or something that drags on. And I've, I've experienced both in many ways. Um, I do feel though that when it is something sudden, yes, the grieving process may not be um, any different, but I feel like you are able to move on a lot faster than when you, when it's someone who's particularly close to you and you're dealing with everything that comes with that terminal disease or that state, um, you know, where you're involved in their everyday life. Um, that can be a huge strain on, on a person. But, uh, yeah, either way, it's just horrible to deal with. And, and like you say, it's, it's carrying that bag of potatoes differently. You'll, you'll never just get out of it. You'll just walk with a different posture. 
for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, loss is disgusting. I mean, there's you know when I see when I see a patient for the first time and they come with any any issue, any challenge, the moment I hear it's lost, I'm like, oh man, this person is going to walk through a rough time because there's nothing mm-hmm. that I can say and there's nothing that I can do that can take away the pain in the immediate. With anything else, with any other challenge or any other conflict mm-hmm. or any other issue, I know that I can give them a tool that will leave, help them leave the session feeling better. But when it comes to loss and grief, I know there's nothing on planet Earth that I can say or I can do, I can give them that will make the pain go away. Loss is disgusting, but again, I always tell people, you've got to walk through it. And what I do promise you is if you walk through it in healthy ways with people that celebrate you, not with people that tolerate you, it will get easier, I promise you. So um, at least you can marry the idea that it will get easier as long as you walk through it. All right. Well, thanks, Doc. I think you are um, a lifesaver for us on a on Monday. We bring you all these weird situations and problems, and you hopefully are able to steer us in a better direction than we would have been able to figure out on our own. And you deal with so many people that it's useful to just have your insights, if nothing else. Uh, and for those people who aren't uh, going through any of this now, inevitably one day you will. This yeah. is like it's a, it's a taxes and death thing, right? You There are two things you can be sure of in life, and, and one of them is death and one is taxes. So just get over it. You got to deal with it. It's ironic that uh, this is uh, February, so it's also tax season for a lot of people. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> you're going through both at the same time. Talk about grieving. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, to, um, even even to this comment, Gareth, and it's quite important that you can actually walk through grief with humor. As a matter of fact, you must walk yeah. through grief with humor because yeah. it's humor is not a way to belittle or to diminish what has happened. But that is how we create a common human experience. And we can celebrate the life of a person as opposed to mourn over the loss of a person. Mm. You can look yeah. at it as a way that you've had so much time and experience with a person as opposed to look at it or what have we lost. Think about what you've gained. Yeah. Very good. All right, Doc, thank you. We will check All in right. with you in a week's time. Thanks, Have an awesome week. week week at work uh lots of things to do this week um let's see we've got uh tamin kadimeng joining us in a little while i'm very excited to talk to dummy uh so so basically uh we'll find out all about a a book that's been written called finding purpose which is where she takes us in her in in, into her journey and her quest to discover a, a reason for living this is something that's so it's kind of glib because everyone uses this terminology. I even find myself using it sometimes, finding purpose, what is the meaning of life, all of this stuff. But she's written this book, and I think it might be a really, really useful lesson for the rest of us to partake in. And Damien Gadimeng will be joining us at 7.30 this morning to discuss that and a whole lot of other cool stuff. Leanne, Ryan, and I here to look after you. It's Monday morning. Everybody up and Adam. Let's get our day started. Cliffcentral.com.